This podcast is brought to you by Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and by Ape Entertainment, who is proud to present the return of Drew Hayes' Poison Elves, coming to a comic shop near you this March. I'm Matt Lockwood, the latest two-headed nerd love slave. I write the musings from the gods column. I also appear on Movie Ah, Omaha's premier movie podcast, and you are listening to the Two-Headed Nerd Comic Cast. Welcome to episode 97 of THN. We're talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, January 2nd. My name is Matt Baum. That's at Matt Baumstein on the Twitter. And when I'm not sucking the marrow from a suckling pig's snout at the stroke of midnight to ring in the new year, I'm a vile. Oh, it's delicious. I'm appraising comics and writing the Comic Speculator blog for WorthPoint.com. And I'm Joe Patrick at JoePatrick116 on the Twitter. And when I'm not sitting in my PJs, Tweeting pictures of my television as the ball drops from the comfort of my divan. I'm the manager of Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and the artist of Good Plus, which is officially relaunched. You can find it right now. Is there a comic strip at goodpluscomic.com? No kidding. There's yes. Pl- there's plastic on this couch, too. This week, you'll hear reviews of Morbius, <laughs> The Living Vampire, and New Avengers number one. After that, we'll review 10 comics faster than we can smash our New Year's resolutions, and then. We'll pay a visit to THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where evil twisting spirits living at the bottom of the fiscal cliff will tell us the secrets of next week's comics. And finally, we'll go back to the comic studio, where we'll interview our good friend Jeremy Hahn about his new Kickstarter-funded anthology project, Bad Karma. But before we start calling out high-ranking government officials for faking blood clots, let's set our sights on 2013 and welcome you to a new year of high-quality and hard-hitting comic journalism. When comic news breaks, we try to glue it back together. And then we'll talk about this week's big news. We'll start off with a bit of good news slash bad news, depending on how you look at it. Bleeding Cool is reporting that writer Scott Lobdell will soon be replaced by up-and-comer James Tinian IV. Tynan? Tinian? T-Y-N-I-O-N. Tinian. Tinian. Tinian! On Red Hood and the Outlaws. <laughs> that was ridiculous. I know. Red Hood has not been what we'd call a critical success, and Lobdell has caught flack for his portrayal of Starfire as an emotionless space bimbo. I go slut. Yeah. There's no word yet whether or not Lobdell is leaving the book or if he's been removed by DC. In other DC news, Bleeding Cool has also reported that Charles uh, Soul or Sewell, writer Sewell. of yeah, I'm gonna Chuck Soul, Soul, writer of 27 <laughs> for Image Comics, will take over writing duties on Swamp Thing after Scott Snyder's final issue in April. Add these rumored changes to DC's hiring of John Layman and one soul graphic novelist Ray Fox, and their recent announcement that Skull Kickers, Skull Kickerers, <laughs> is yeah. what I typed there. Kickerers. Skull Kickerers writer Jim Zubkovich will be taking over Birds of Prey, and I did not fill <laughs> in the last part <laughs> of this sentence. <laughs> I, I mean, is DC making the creative change like bringing in the new talent that we always wanted them to with this reboot finally i don't know 16 18 months later these are good names and i like it but i don't think it matters there's been other good names that we like that have popped up and it doesn't matter if there's an iron-fisted editorial that's making them do things but it's a start right i mean they're saying they're they're saying hey scott labdell uh, we don't know if he got fired or if he, he left the book. But I think Scott Lobdell has a lot of other things going on. They're bringing in these new guys to do these books. And it's good. And and I like the names, and I think it's good. But again... I mean, it, I, I have to see it as a positive it's, sign. It, I want to see editorial changes. I want to see that, that Zubkovich and Fox 
and Lehman and all these guys can tell the story that they want to tell. That's what I want to see. Not, we're bringing you in to tell this story now, because that's a perfectly good way to give us more crappy comics. Well, but to be fair, John Lehman has had several issues already, and his book is great. It's true, but I also think Lehman is maybe given a little more leeway because Snyder probably brought him on. And Batman is, I mean, I don't know this, but I think he has a little more freedom. Never stopped you before. No, that's true. But I do think <laughs> he has a little more freedom than a lot of these other guys, like than Nathan Edmondson, say, had with Grifter, for example. Sure. You sure, know what sure, I mean? Sure, sure, sure. And I would love to see all these guys do really well. I like all these names, all of them. Um, Fox, I don't recognize. And Chuck Soul, I don't recognize him either, but he sounds like a bad mother. <laughs> well, 27, uh, 27 was pretty well received at Image. Yeah, I remember it won some awards. Yeah, I look forward to seeing what they have to offer, and I, I hope that you're wrong. I hope that this I hope is I'm a, wrong too. a sign of DC maybe responding to criticism and saying, you're, you know what, let's give some new life to these properties. I'm also sorry to see Swierzynski leave Birds of Prey because he really is doing a good job on that book. It's true. It's yeah, true. It's good. It, and he's doing it in the confines of that book where he just kind of gets to tell a small story that really doesn't affect anything else, but it's well done. Yeah. It, you know, and I, like I said, I hope they do well, but we need to see editorial change, not creative change. We need to see a little of both. Agreed. Okay, okay agreed. I'll give you that. <laughs> In Hollywood news, the Dark Knight Rises star, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, is re- he turned out to be Batman in the end of the movie, is reportedly on the short list to star <laughs> in another comic book role, this time at Marvel Studios. According to Deadline, JGL is in the running for the role of Peter Quill, a.k.a. Star-Lord, in James Gunn's upcoming Guardians of the Galaxy movie. Worth noting that several Star-Lord casting rumors have popped up over the past few weeks, including Chuck Star, Zachary Levi, and Pushing Daisy star, Lee Pace, all of which the Guardian's director brushed off as inaccurate. Whether the Gordon-Levitt rumor has any more truth to it is anybody's guess. What do you think, Joe? Is this truth or truthiness? (laughs) That is a good question. (laughs) Uh, I like Joseph Gordon-Levitt more than I liked those other names. Not that I don't not that I dislike, you know, Lee Pace. I loved pushing daisies. I just think he's he a the, weird choice for Star Lord. Maker, right? He was the pie maker. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't know. Maybe he's good, but and I actually really liked Chuck. I know that you hated it. I didn't. Was not a fan. But I don't see him as Star Lord either. No, he's too cute. I feel like Star Lord is kind of a badass. Not like right. Big, it's not. It's not the badass, cute. It's but... not the cute thing I have a problem with. It's the like uh, Chuck is a you know kind of a goofy character. Yeah, the pie maker was kind of a you know a. A puppy dog, harmless you know, character. Har- yeah, yeah, like I don't; those names don't strike me as tough guy, space action hero. No, and I will say Levi. Obviously, he's a talented dude. He can sing and dance. So, I mean, like he's old school Hollywood actor. You know, he's fully trained. Maybe he's got some range that we don't know about. Certainly, I mean, I Chuck's the only thing I've seen him in. That's the only thing I've really seen him in either. And I don't particularly care for the guy. He's fine. He's he's good at what he does. Talented guy. But I think Gordon Levitt is come into his own as somebody that can do action. Yeah. I think he's a little too young for the role. I see Peter Quill as kind of an older, not older, but... No, I get you. Not in his 20s or early but 30s. But I think they could make Gordon-Levitt look a little older. In well, it, it's funny. Just as we sat down to record, they announced that Michael Rosenbaum, who played Lex Luthor on Smallville, 
also read for the part of Star-Lord, and I actually like him for the role a little bit better. Uh, I like him a lot. Because Star-Lord is snarky and sarcastic, and Michael Rosenbaum does that very well. He does. He was the best part about Smallville. Which he was, might be a little cheaper than JGL, too. I don't he know. He might be. They might be able to get him you know, for he a didn't, little bit less. He didn't star in one of the highest grossing movies of the year or anything. <laughs> Finally, rumor has it that Marvel is planning to launch a Spider-Man miniseries by writer Matt Kent and occasional Swamp Thing artist Marco Rudy. While Kent is capable of working well within other publishers' established universes, he has been writing Frankenstein Agent of Shade for DC. Kent is primarily known for his offbeat creator-owned work like Mind Management, So Good, Pistol Whip, and Super Spy. While no further details have become available, such as whether or not this series will be set in current superior Spider-Man continuity, it seems that Marvel is continuing its trend of hiring indie creators to work on their established properties. Matt, do you enjoy these unique takes on familiar characters? I do. I do, and I love the idea of a creator like Matt Kent handling anything in the Spider universe, anything in the Marvel universe. They've already proven that bringing in these younger guys like Fraction and Hickman and even Bendis at one point has breathed new life into the company. Yeah, they have a different voice. Now, repeat. Right. That's all you gotta do. Yeah, yeah. Repeat. And... You know, I'm I'm a fan. Like we just said, we don't know if this is going to be in continuity or if it's going to be like a weird alternate take. I don't care. But I do love when they do stuff like Paul Pope came on DC and did Batman Year 100. And it was amazing. And that was super fun. Yeah, amazing. I love, like they put out a, a an anthology called Bizarro Comics that was all these. That was a ton of fun. You know, Evan Dorkin and, and guys doing weird, offbeat superhero stories. Even Marvel, the Batman black and white stuff. That was a lot yeah. of people that you've never seen do Batman. Marvel did it with their recent Strange Tales books. I love that kind of stuff. And I'm glad that Marvel seems willing. They put out a they put out a Spider-Man series a year or two ago that was the most bizarre thing I'd ever seen. It was what called was Spider-Man Fever. And it was it was by Brendan McCarthy. Uh, who is the artist of Zosser of Zilk. Oh, God. And it was the most psychedelic freakout thing. Like, I don't even know. I can't even describe what it was What it was about. But I like that Marvel's willing to do that sort of thing, take those kind of risks. Yeah, and take a different look at their characters through the eyes of new and young creators and stuff like that and give them a shot at stuff like this. Totally. It's very cool. Totally. And it's the one thing that they're doing that DC is not. Definitely. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> That's the big news for this week. If you'd like to discuss these stories or anything you think we missed, head over to our Facebook page where R. Crumb is pitching his new Big Barda storyline, where in the first issue, Granny Goodness pays Big Barda $200 to sit on her feet and wiggle for 17 pages. Each week, my life coach, Joe Patrick, posts the question of the week on our Facebook and Twitter, and then we read your responses on the show. This week's question was, in the vein of Paul Pope's Batman Year 100 and Matt Kent's rumored Spider-Man project, name a quirky indie creator, comma, the mainstream superhero you'd like to see them tackle, comma, and why? I think Joe Patrick worded that one kind of strange. I didn't. He's not a word. It's grammar. He's not a wordsmith like me. I Joe Patrick, <laughs> what do these nerds say? You should see all of the spelling and grammatical errors in Stream the script. consciousness. I work with editors. I'm a journalist, sir. Uh, sounds like an excuse to not know how to write in the English language. Chris Batchelder writes in, I'd love to see Robert Kirkman tackle Booster Gold and Blue Beetle. Ted Cord, of course. Just the idea of a blue and gold book written by the man behind Invincible, Walking Dead, and Super Dinosaur is incredibly appealing 
Not to mention all the crazy situations he can put them in if they travel through time and maybe even space. That is a excellent pitch, sir. I don't know about quirky. Kirkman's done a lot of mainstream stuff, though. Qu- yes, so but, has Matt Kent. I'm, but you know what I mean. He's yeah. primarily known as an indie creator. Right on, right on. Let's not split hairs. That was terrible. <laughs> Shut <laughs> up. Cut that. Aaron Myers, King of Ask a Nerd, says, Dave Sim writing Doctor Strange. Do I really need to examine why? Whoa. <laughs> we could get a 200-page rant by Strange, Why Women Are Horrible, or the most amazing Strange adventure ever created. Either way, I'm in. That is a really good answer, too. <laughs> Victor Von Zoom wants to see a Silver Surfer story by Charles Burns. Why? Oh, God. Because Charles Burns is trippy. And the Silver Surfer is a silver-coated alien who zooms around the galaxy on a surfboard. It's going to end up with masturbation and feces, man. <laughs> like Charles Burns is a different kind of dude. Michael Powell says, I'd like to see Kate Beaton take on the Stephanie Brown version of Batgirl. She's got a cool style, and it would be a fun book. I agree. If you don't know Kate Beaton, seek her out. Google the name. Go to harkavagrant.com. She's an amazing cartoonist, and anytime she does superheroes it is hilarious she's got a wonderful series of strips about wonder woman who decides that she doesn't want to fight crime anymore she just wants to go back to her nazi fighting roots (laughs) and so people are trying to get her to get cats out of trees and stuff and she's drinking coffee and smoking saying nah (laughs) it's really funny Brian Domingo says, I know he's a big fan of the original run he did a crazy issue by issue breakdown on his old blog so my suggestion is Matt Fraction on Doom Patrol with rotating arcs by Fabio Moon and Gabriel Ba. Man. These ideas are so, <laughs> oh. these oh. Are so good. <laughs> that would be amazing. Ah, Jeez. Our buddy Sean at the pull list writes in with James Stokoe on the Hulk. His art style plus his color palette totally equals in. awesome sauce. Totally in. Also, we know he can write and draw big monstrous forces of nature. And Sean has been sending us messages for weeks now. With the tagline, Cyclops was right. And I think he's trying to pick a fight. Whoa. He's trying to pick a fight with me, and I don't quite understand why. Well, you made Cyclops <laughs> your villain of the year, so you agree with him. Well, no. Sean says Cyclops was right. He's a hero. Oh. Well, I mean, they haven't... Yeah, I, I agree with some of what Cyclops is saying, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Good answers, everybody. We'll get to a few more later on in the show. It's review time on THN, where Joe and I uncork two of this week's comics, hold them between our legs, and spray their foam all over each other's faces. Gross. Like we just won the Any 500. Joe, clean yourself up and tell us what you read for your first comic review of 2013. Whoa. My pick for the week was Morbius the Living Vampire, number one from Marvel Comics, written by Joe Keating, with art by Richard Elson, and colors by Antonio Fabella. Here is your solicit. Morbius, the hunted, haunted fugitive. Morbius, the dead-souled scientist. Morbius. Morbius, the living vampire. What happened there? I had a breakdown. The train rolled right off the track. I lost track of my B's and V's. Yeah, you called him Morbius. Morbius, the living vampire. Morpheus. Somewhere inside, Dr. Michael Morbius is a good man who just needs a second chance. After escaping from the raft in Amazing Spider-Man 699.1, Morbius is scraping desperately through each day trying to carve out a life in a world that has turned its back on him. However, his redemption... Dot, dot, dot. May be worse than his sin. Now! 
Morbius returns in this long-awaited ongoing series, really, where the line between hero and villain becomes brutally and bloodily blurred. I was not awaiting this. I was not either. Neither have I been awaiting it for a long time. Uh, Of all the titles rolling out of Marvel these days, this was probably the one I was least excited about. At least one of the ones I was least excited about. I like Joe Keating well enough, but I've never really found Morbius all that interesting as a solo character. I like him best when he's interacting with the larger Marvel universe, like bumming around with the Legion of Monsters, punching Spider-Man, that sort of thing. This issue spins directly out of Dan Slott's Horizon Labs subplot that had been running through Amazing Spider-Man, and unfortunately, removed from those elements, the story of Morbius is a whole lot less interesting. I should say that everything about this issue is competently executed. Keating's script is quite good. He does his best to make Michael Morbius a sympathetic character, and between this issue and the lead-in in Amazing Spider-Man 699.1, Keating adds a lot of background that I didn't really know about the character before. Morbius is a scientist that suffered from a crippling blood disease all of his life, and his miracle cure became a curse that he can't control, but he's not actually a vampire, and Keating has some fun with Morbius's internal monologue as the character tells us the pros and cons of his uh, weird condition. Like, crosses don't phase him and he thinks garlic is delicious. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, he's not full vamp. Right. Yeah. Richard Elson's art is actually quite nice, uh, though I think it's completely out of place in what is supposed to be a horror book. It's very clean and very superhero-y, and it just, it just doesn't strike me as the right fit for this book. In fact, for a horror title, there isn't a single scare or even a thrilling moment of tension. Even the cliffhanger is unearned. There isn't enough time spent with the villain of the issue to care about him or to make him seem like an actual threat. To a guy that can fight Spider-Man. I mean, this is just a guy. He's a guy with a mohawk and weird piercings. He's a badass with a mohawk and weird piercings, yeah, but apparently. Morbius fights Spider-Man. I have a hard time thinking that this guy's going to beat him well, up. He's been in prison for a little while. Maybe gain some weight. I don't know. <laughs> he got fat. Yeah, he got Morbius fat. Morbius got fat. He got fat on the raft. He stopped working out. This all might sound a bit harsh, but I really do think that the creative team did a good job here. It's just that they didn't do enough to hook me. And the tone of the issue really conflicts with what the promos and the lead-ins made me expect. This doesn't read like a horror book. It's not scary. It's it's not even suspenseful. Yeah. I, I'm never afraid for Morbius. I'm never afraid there, that he's going to do something bad. There was no horror here. Certainly. No. All in all, I think Morbius is a character that's really fun in theory, but not so much in execution. Remove him from the context of the Legion of Monsters or conflicts with Spidey, and I lose interest really quickly. But I'm willing to give Keating and Elson a little more time to get established before I give up on the title. I'm giving it a skim it. I think I gotta agree. And I I don't know why was I was kind of excited for this, other than Joe Keating's name. Right. Well, I really like Joe Keating. And I I, mean, I can't stress enough that with the story that they told, they did a good job. It just didn't fit with the character. Um, it didn't fit with the character, but I thought this would have been a really good chance to just do something wacky. Just do something totally wacky with Morbius because personally 
I don't think Morbius is a very interesting character. I really don't. I never yeah, really have. As a solo character, he's kind of like the Punisher. Right. Unless somebody amazing is writing the Punisher, yeah. he does not work as a solo character. So why not do something with him that we didn't see coming? Why not do something? Like, maybe we find out this whole time he was a full-on vampire or something, and he's been faking it or fighting it or see, and what, something. What you know? I was expecting, and I'm willing to concede that maybe I came into this with my own preconceived notions, but I think Marvel marketed this as a horror book. And that's what I wanted. I want Marvel doesn't have like their swamp thing. No, they don't. They don't. They, and they could have done that. That could have been fun. And that's something Marvel is lacking is a really good horror yeah. niche. And Morbius could be that guy that leads us down the really scary paths, you know, of the Marvel universe. But the, but Morbius in a hoodie, yeah, living just, as a bum, there's no hook fighting here. hoodlums is not the book I want to yeah, read. Yeah, there's no hook here, and I don't need to read Mor- Morrissey. I don't need to read. <laughs> Morbius as a hero. You know what I mean? And I don't want, want to read him as an anti-hero either. I think he could be an interesting character that gets put in different situations where he's neither a good guy nor a bad guy. He's just trying to survive or whatever. Sort of like what we've seen so far in um, Talon. Right. You know, sure, something sure. like that. Yeah, a totally. misunderstood character you know, that walks this line and has direct you know, inroads to the scariest parts of the Marvel universe deals with monsters and stuff like that. You know, son of Satan, it could be a buddy book. I don't know, but there was no hook here. There just wasn't a hook. And I really didn't care. And the art was fine, but nothing great. I just, I don't see this going past issue seven. Well, like I said, I'm going to give it a little bit more time. It gets a skim it because it was well done. Yeah, it wasn't. I just, I want to see where they take it. Maybe it's going to become the book that I'm expecting and they just it's a slow burn and, and maybe there's nothing was. really wrong with that it's just that as a single issue yeah you gotta give us a hook it didn't yeah um, and this issue of people jumping off books quickly or waiting for the trade you gotta give them something to sink their teeth in aha you know right off the bat yeah and I'm giving I didn't it a skimming it. as well because it wasn't bad but there's just no hook here for me and you don't need to spend money on it certainly Matt what did you read this week this week I read New Avengers number one from Marvel written by Jonathan Hickman with art by Steve Epting. Here is your solicit. To prevent the collision of our universe with another, the Illuminati, led by the Black Panther, must assemble now! It's the most powerful and brilliant team in the Marvel Universe, the Black Panther, Iron Man, Doctor Strange, Black Bolt, Mr. Fantastic, Namor the Submariner, and the Beast against an infinite legion of parallel realities. Sounds kind of like a Jonathan Hickman story, huh? Oh, yeah. (laughs) By now, when picking up a Hickman comic, we should know what we're going to get. Not that he's predictable, but his stories tend to lean on gigantic sci-fi themes of dimensional and cosmic forces of creation and destruction. See page one here for a perfect example. (laughs) We've got Reed Richards introducing the book, and I'm just going to read the quote really quick because it's a great quote and it's not long. It's just Reed with a black background saying, everything dies. You, me, everyone on this planet, our sun, our galaxy, and eventually the universe itself. This is simply how things are. It's inevitable. And I accept it. Page one <laughs> of Memento Mori by Jonathan Hickman, our introduction to New Avengers. I really enjoyed this. I'm not going to lie. My main complaint, why is this book not called Avengers Illuminati? Why is it called New Avengers there's nothing that even remotely connects this to the old New Avengers title. Nothing. Well, and that's fine, because X-Men Legacy doesn't connect to the old X-Men Legacy either. Fine, but you, I would say it's still dealing with X-Men Legacy-type characters, stories that have came out of things. 
you know, the legacy of the X-Men, whatever. This has nothing to do with New Avengers. I love That's the idea. That's a small complaint. I know. I love the You idea. know it's just marketing. Yeah, I get it. And I so. love the idea of what's going on here. I love the characters that he's brought together. This is going to be the giant, lunatic, cosmic Avengers book, obviously. I just don't understand why it's not called Avengers Illuminati. Move on. Anyway. It's a small complaint. From... After our introduction by Reed Richards, we move to Wakanda, where we see a group of promising youngsters that are about to have their Wakandan techno wizard bar mitzvah by <laughs> <Mazel tov. laughs> yeah, succeeding in some sacred panther quest for knowledge. I am almost certain that one of them was a character from Fantastic Force from the 90s. Really? Yes, I can't remember the girl. his name. The girl? No, there's oh. the guy, the, one of the guys. Vibraxis or something was his name. Oh, I remember Vibraxis. Yeah. yeah, younger dude. He was like the, he was like the ward of Black Panther. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he wore like gloves that helped him he had, focus. His he had vibration, vibration powers. powers. Yeah. yeah, I don't think that's who that was. I think that was. I don't think. It, well, he never. He certainly never called him by name. No, no. They called him by his first name. Yes. Hold on. Oh, you boy. talk, and I'm gonna oh, Google boy. it. Okay, we're gonna, we're gonna check to see if Vibraxis <laughs> is here. But what I do like about it, I, first of all, I love stories. You know in what? Wakanda. Aura will know. I love stories in Wakanda. I love the Black Panther, and I love that they're instantly establishing the Black Panther as a major character in this book, which also leads off with a flashback of the Black Panther sitting down with the original Illuminati saying, basically, don't do this. Do not get together and put together the secret cabal of Marvel characters that have decided they will be the secret protectors of the world who are gently going to try and steer the Marvel Universe in a safe direction without any of their friends knowing which is a very cool idea yeah and if any anyone can these are the most powerful characters in the marvel u i'm calling it it's vibraxis well it's nakano is is vibraxis name and this kid's name is nakono i'm saying baby brother i'm saying jonathan hickman the the, uh continuity cops fell down on their job it's vibraxis i'm going to chala tachaka baby brother or son all right whatever okay regardless we don't have to worry about it too much because things don't turn out well for intrepid youngsters. And, of course, we discover there is an interdimensional invasion force coming to the Marvel U. Isn't there always? And only the Illuminati can stop it. Steve Epting on art here is just a perfect choice for a book like this. I can't wait to see what he's going to do with this huge universal scope of Hickman's story. I like that this is probably going to take place alongside the Avengers book, but also without the other Avengers knowing what's going on, so not necessarily directly dealing with the Avengers book. Like I said, I love the cast here. I'm a huge Black Panther guy, and I absolutely think he should be an Avenger. It's nice to see him having this much weight again in the Marvel Universe. Love Black Bolt, and it's about time they brought him back into the fold rather than him being a bad guy every other issue. (laughs) You know, also a very creative way for Hickman to continue writing Mr. Fantastic, which you can tell he loves. Sure, yeah. <laughs> More than anything. I, you know, I, I saw some reviews of this book. <clears throat> some people were complaining that this was more like a Black Panther story than a, an Illuminati story, and they were kind of bagging on it. But while it's true this issue focuses on Black Panther to start with, I loved it. I did too, and I would argue that using the Black Panther, the character that stood up against the old Illuminati and right. didn't want to have anything to do with them as the main character introduce, to introduce the new Illuminati is brilliant. I and agree. very cool. And if anyone has earned the right 
to do a slow burn build over time right saga it's jonathan friggin hickman yeah and just like we were just saying in the morbius book where there was no hook there was nothing that pulled you in this book is all hook it is yeah all hook and like, sorry go ahead here's the biggest most powerful brainiest characters in the marvel U. they're gonna have to get together to deal with an invasion force that they can't tell anyone about because no one can know that they are a group that is awesome it, totally awesome <laughs> for people that like to really look in depth at Hickman's books to find, you know, connections and stuff. One of the villains is named Manifold and has the same logo on his chest as a Gateway's kid that is now an Avenger. Also named Manifold. Also named Manifold. And they don't mention it. Nor do they seem to know each other. Well, there doesn't seem to be any connection yeah. unless they're like they're just like alternate reality versions of Maybe. Manifold or whatever. But I just think it's interesting that Hickman has already put in this tie to his other Avengers book that's there for us to find. Oh, get ready for this to he, tie into Shield too, buddy. Well, Big sure, <laughs> but it's there for us to find. But he doesn't beat our head over it. He doesn't make it obvious. No, no, not at all. And I do think this is going to tie directly into S.H.I.E.L.D., seeing as we've got Reed Richards and Tony Stark right here, and he revealed that both of their parents were members of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah, well, S.H.I.E.L.D., I'm not confident S.H.I.E.L.D. will ever end, so... <laughs> yeah, who knows? But huge buy it here. This is exactly what Hickman does best. This is going to be a ton of fun. If you enjoyed his Fantastic Four, you're going to love this book. I think it's going to be a little grittier, but it's going to be gigantic in scope. It's going to be brain-bending. But unlike some other brain-bending writers like Grant Morrison, I think we're all going to know where we end up at the end of this story rather than arguing about what happened. I'm giving this a gigantic <laughs> buy it. I'm giving it a buy it as well. I thought it was a great first issue. I don't know if I, where it compares when you hold it up next to Avengers number one. I feel like it read better, truthfully. I feel like it read better. I feel, And maybe it's just because Avengers number one was such a big sort of shock to the system compared to what we were getting maybe this felt newer i just wish they i wish they would have disconnected it from new avengers and just given us a new title i'm done with new i think new before titles is just stupid yeah but you're gonna need to get over that because they're trading on an existing name I for marketing that. purposes you've already got the name avengers i understand which is more but important <laughs> new avengers i know the title comes with an existing fan base i get that and so they're just selling the book. So I get back. that. Do you think the fans of Luke Cage and Iron Fist are going to go, yeah, this is what I want more of? Wait a minute. <laughs> you know? But they'll at least try it. I suppose. I just, I wish you would have disconnected it and called it something brand new. Deal breakers, leave it. <laughs> so that's a double skim it for Morbius and a double buy it for New Avengers. Of course, we want to know what you albino vamps and secret world protectors thought of these comics. So drop us your opinions over at the comments section for this episode on TwoHeadedNerd.com. Nobody ever leaves us any comments. I know. Comment there, you guys. Come on. They love our Facebook page. We need damn hits. They love our Facebook page. Start off our new year, Joe and I have retreated to our winter vacation home on Wondergore Mountain, where we're hitting the slopes with our buddy Northstar and his lovely husband, Kyle. However... That jerk the black racer has been running his mouth at all the new men restaurants and wine bars about how he owns this slopes, and we're sick of listening to it. So join us now as we challenge the racer to a dangerous double black diamond night race down Chathon's backbone while reviewing 10 comics during the ludicrous speed round. Ludicrous speed!
go! Batman Incorporated number six from DC. Graham Morrison continues his streak of writing Batman comics that feel like they have absolutely nothing to do with the new DCU whatsoever. But it's still totally great. The art by Chris Burnham is a lot of fun here. We're seeing Batman and Talia butting heads over the love of their son. Whoa. And it's going to be a ton of fun. My only complaint here, like I said, it has nothing to do with the Batman that's going on in Death of the Family. Still, buy it. Flash 15 from DC. This is the continuing storyline of Flash fighting not only the rogues, but the Gorilla Grodd's army and... Uh, the super scientist guy has betrayed him and his girlfriend hates him and Iris is stuck in the mirror universe or some such nonsense. I don't know. There's a lot going on in this book and it's starting to lose me a little. It got bogged down really quick. Yeah, I just think Manipal and Bucalato need to kind of Focus. Simplify. Focus. Just tell me good stories about the Flash. You don't need to wedge every Flash concept into one storyline just to remind me he's an existing character. Right. It's still really great art. I don't know. Skim it. Fair enough. I'm sorry. It's This one's a skim it. I quit. Yeah. Adventure Time with Fiona and Cake, number one from Kaboom. This is the female counterparts of Finn and Jake from Adventure Time. So if you've got a little girl who wants to read some fun adventure comics starring girls, here you go. It was a ton of fun. It was super cute. It was really well written. Again, just an amazing art team with a horde of great variant comics. Kaboom is just killing these here. Buy this. Black Acre number two from Image. I wasn't super sold on the first issue, but I, didn't I get it, man. <laughs> I wanted to give the second issue a try, and this was better. It was a little bit more focused on the world outside of Black Acre, and there's a, like this weird like cult society, and, and then there the are these woods. hunter guys. There's a lot of fun concepts here, and I am for now into it. I'm giving this issue a buy it, even though the first issue was cuckoo nuts. Fair enough. Youngblood number 75 from Image? It's from Image. Rob Weefield is here, but just inking, not drawing. John Mallon is your artist, and Black Swan screenwriter John McLaughlin, or McLaughlin, is writing. And it's certainly not what I thought it was going to be. Youngblood has sort of been reduced to a group of snarky Kardashians, like on a reality show that isn't being filmed. All they care about is what people are tweeting about them and saying about them while they're fighting battles against no-name, nobody, bad guys, and the art is not particularly good. Leave this. For a guy who wrote a movie that was up for a bunch of Oscars, this dialogue it's is bad. f***ing terrible. Maybe he did it as a favor. All new X-Men, number five from Marvel. We talk about this a lot, and I didn't really want to put it in my five, but this is the conclusion of the old beast is sick subplot and we get a new version of the beast maybe a conclusion and i i am not super happy about it yeah they sure teased the hell out of us for a little bit yeah there. Uh, uh, we're not gonna go into what happened but they really teased you here you know we are not fans of the cat beast and i was really hoping for a return to the old perez kind of beast this is something else i'm not uh, this is still a really good book, and I enjoy it, but I'm enjoying this one out of under protest. I did love this issue. Yeah, I'm giving it a buy it. Hellboy in Hell, number two from Dark Horse. Mike Mignola doing Hellboy. Enough said. I mean, it was just amazing. It's absolutely beautiful. Hell is creepy. The weird statues that are there are absolutely terrifying. Next issue, we're going to meet Hellboy's dad. Yeah. Buy this. Danger Girl, G.I. Joe, number five. From Dynamite. IDW. From IDW. <laughs> we talked about this uh, last month because I 
couldn't remember how many issues it was supposed to be. <laughs> this is the actual conclusion to what almost became my favorite miniseries of 2012. It almost got the Golden Beppo. But it has been so much fun. Listen, it's just good fun. Fair it, enough. It, it hits all the buttons I need a book like this to hit. You can pick out the, the toys you had as a kid. It's like, there's the His Tank. There's the Rattler. There's that weird little... Can't you do that in every G.I. Joe There's comic. that weird little ATV with a cannon on it that I had. Sometimes fun is just enough, and this was fun. Fair enough. I'm giving it a buy it. Vampirella Strikes, number one from Dynamite. Writer Tom Snagowski, or Snagowski? Yeah, Snagowski. He's Polish. Returns to Vampirella Strikes. Not Vampirella, but Vampirella Striking. This is Vampirella Killing Demons. Sort of a Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Buffy was more of a, I don't know, vampy slut. (laughs) The art is not particularly good. The story is not poorly written. It's just not really my thing. If you're into this kind of bad girl stuff, I think you might enjoy it. I'll give you a buy it if you're into it. For me, it's a skip. It was actually pretty well written. There were no eye-rolling moments like we had in Youngblood. So, in your face. Red 10, number one, from Comics Tribe. Uh, Matt reviewed this a few weeks ago. He got a copy in advance, and I finally got my hands on it. It came out in comic shops this week, and I just want to reiterate. I'm a little more important in the comic book world than Joe. Yeah, apparently. He's making back he's making back-end deals. I carry a little more comic tribe. Without wait. me. <laughs> uh, I just want to reiterate that this is a super fun murder mystery set in a superhero universe. It is a great whodunit. It's based loosely on an Agatha Christie novel. and I didn't it, know that. Yeah. Huh. Uh, called And Then There Were None. Hey. It was just a really, really fun time. The art is amateurish. It's but not a big bad. Ad, but not bad. But, you know, this is an indie comic. This right. guy's just getting started. I love the story. And the art shows definite promise. I'm giving this one a buy it. Seek it out because your shop probably didn't order many. Probably not. If any. That is your ludicrous speed round, and crack is the sound Squire of Night and Squire fame Slingshot makes when she shoots Talia al Ghul's hench chic, I guess, we don't really know his name, <laughs> as seen in this week's Batman Incorporated, although that dude is really scary. Yeah, he's big. Ugh. He's big and tough. Now, join us, please, in the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where we will be projecting our astral selves to the fiscal cliffs of insanity, where below... Old gods with claws and tentacles twist and writhe, waiting, hungry to devour our nation's economy. Wow. Scary shit. Today, to temporarily soothe their eternal hunger, we offer them the blood clot that almost robbed Hillary Clinton of her 2016 presidential bid. The only thing that could get a Republican (laughs) win, maybe. In exchange for the secrets of next week's comics, Matt... What is your pick for next week? Next week, I'm excited for the Superior Spider-Man number one from Marvel, written by Dan Slott and Ryan Stegman. Dear haters, we all know you're going to read this, so shut up and stop complaining. (laughs) It's going to be so much fun. I love Stegman's art. Dan Slott has thrown us a loop with Spider-Man that we did not see coming. This is going to be a riot, and I cannot wait to see how Doc Ock handles the Spidey job. Joe Patrick, what are you excited for next week? My pick is Star Wars number one from Dark Horse, written by Brian Wood, with art by Carlos Danda. Danda. And covers by Alex Ross. 
I have, beautiful covers yeah, by Alex Ross. I've really been enjoying my forays into the Star Wars comics universe the last few months. And this is actually a comic set during the original trilogy, during like the best time period for Star Wars. Yeah. And I'm really, really excited for a writer like Brian Wood to bring his amazing abilities to this universe. I'm curious to and see tell how, some he handles, stories. how he handles this one, you know? We'll see how long it lasts. Because he can't get too sweet and human with it. Like, I, I think he's going to have to play in the Star Wars style while interjecting his own, you know, brand of dialogue. And the real question plot. is whether or not this takes place before or after Luke and Leia found out they were brother and sister. Oh, boy. That could, <laughs> that could get ugly. The THN trade paperback of next week goes to Hardbringer. Volume 1. Volume 1 from Valiant Comics, collecting the first Harbinger storyline for just $10. If you missed out on this one, pick it up. There's no excuse. It's a perfect price. And this is a wonderful, wonderful book about a kid with psionic abilities that may be able to save the world. A world that is way more complex than either he or you, when you start reading it, will know. And be sure to tell us what comics the evil old gods of finance have whispered to you in your sleep while dreaming. Over at DoWettedNerd.com Gross. Before we move along, read us some answers to the question of the week. We have a great one here from James Randall, who suggests Darwin Cook taking on a full run of 60s-era X-Men would be incredible. Oh, wow. I'd like to see him apply the same aesthetic of DC's New Frontier to an established Marvel team book. Yeah. James, what a good answer. Yeah, that's great, a fantastic great answer. answer. Matthew Ross writes in saying, Mike Mignola doing the Hulk. He's done a stupendous job. On one monochrome Goliath already. He's done some Hulk before. Uh, yeah, a long time ago, yeah, though. back in the day. The Mike Mignola we know, though, hasn't really done No, 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 much no, no. Or... Yeah, that would be cool. Yeah. That would be cool. Or Mike Mignola, Ghost Rider. Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> that would be cool! Uh, our buddy Jared says, Evan Dorkin on Batman. I see a manic-obsessed Batman. <laughs> this, of course... Would not be a serious take on the character, but rather a funny and mocking commentary involving Bats, his rogues gallery, Bat family, and fans. I love Evan I Dorkin. believe Peter Bagg did a Batman in that Bizarro comics that was pretty fun. Maybe. He was like a slacker Batman. <laughs> it was pretty fun. But that's a good answer. I love, I love Evan Dorkin. I do too. And finally, Stephen Kohler writes in saying, I'd love to see a Stan Sakai Batman in Japan story. I'm thinking either feudal Japan or maybe futuristic Japan. Either way, I'm in. That would be wonderful. I'd also take Stan Sakai's Rocket Raccoon. What? Yeah, Stan buddy. Sakai's Rocket Raccoon? Yeah, buddy. Oh. Or Stan Sakai's Bucky O'Hare. <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> Stop it. Now you're being silly. I'm typecasting him as a rabbit illustrator. <laughs> uh, great answers again, as usual. Uh, if I did not read your answer, it's because you all you did was give me creators and you did not give me a why. Come on, guys. Sorry, you Come know on. how this works. We need to fill this time. Good answers, though, kids. My conversation. Every once in a while, we actually convince some poor working comic My talent to talk to us on the show in a little segment we call Inside the Comic Studio. This week, Matt talked to Jeremy Hahn about his Kickstarter-funded anthology, My Bad Karma. 
Here are some highlights of Matt's interview with Jeremy. Jeremy Hahn is a comic writer, artist, and inker currently illustrating The Darkness with writer David Hine for Image Top Cow. Hahn has also penciled several different DC, Image, and Marvel titles, such as Batman Arkham Reborn, Artifacts, and the Captain America and Iron Man Casualties of War miniseries. Currently, Jeremy, along with a small collective of creators, launched a Kickstarter campaign for their new anthology, Bad Karma a 200-page graphic novel to debut this June at Heroes Con in North Carolina. I reached Jeremy at his home in Kansas City. Jeremy Hahn, welcome back to the comic studio here at the Two-Headed Nerd. Why don't you tell us about Bad Karma? Hey, man. Um, Bad Karma is this uh, new project that I'm involved with. It's B. Claymore, Alex Grecian, Seth Peck, and myself working as... A writing collective. It's it's a group of the four of us, kind of doing. Um, there 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 are always a lot of um, art studios. You know, you've got you got the Gaijin guys. You've got various groups, but there aren't really that many writing collectives. I think the main one that really sticks out um, is Men of Action. Yeah, I think if you're gonna if you ask people to name one, that's probably the only one that comes to mind. To yeah, I mean. Truth. You know, it's, 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 you know, artists typically, you know, like, uh, you get the four star guys in Chicago that are doing some amazing stuff right now. And, and they're, they're, uh, but it's, but it's, it's an art studio, you know, um, predominantly, you know, there are writers in there, but, but it's mostly an art studio. Um, we, you know, we started talking about, you know, that, that writing is a pretty solitary thing as far as comics go. But, you know, if, if you look at Hollywood and kind of the way that they handle a lot of things, there's the writer's room mentality. You know, there's, you take something, you take a concept and you break it down in the room. You come up with the idea, somebody does, and then as a group, you feed off of each other creatively and build on it. And we really like that dynamic. That's a dynamic that we, I, I remember Clay and I talking about it, you know, five years ago, um, when Buffy was uh, probably longer than that now, because Buffy was going strong, it was like towards the end of the Buffy series. So this uh, is before the relaunch of the season eight and everything, you're saying? Yeah, yeah. Talking okay. about you know as far as far as as the show, it was you know it was quite a while ago. But we were you know, we we liked this idea, you know, the idea of working as a group and and trying to work with guys that you like working with, but also building a strong group dynamic. No, and I hear so, you. It does seem like most comics are written in a vacuum. It seems like it's one guy, you know, one writer, one artist, and mm-hmm. an editor, of course. But other than that, you don't see a lot of teams. It is, and it doesn't seem like it should be such a revolutionary idea, but it seems to be, you know, like people writing collectives, like you said, Thief of Thieves, for example. Kirkman's yeah. Thief of Thieves is a perfect example of him saying, well, I don't want to do it alone. I'm going to bring in these other guys that I like to work with, and we're going to do it. And I think it's a really cool idea. Is this going to stick? Is this like, are you are you building something here? Is this a a gang, if you will? Yeah. Uh, um, we're going to be the we're going to be the sharks. So you know, I like uh, it. So like when the men of action roll around, you guys are going to give them like bad looks and like well, point at, point at your patches on your leather vests and stuff. And <laughs> so let me ask you, why Kickstarter? You've done a bunch of work with Top Cow recently, and you're doing great work there. What made you guys decide to do this through Kickstarter instead of I mean, doing it the old school way and just pitching the idea to say image. You know, right out the gate, we knew 
that we were doing something that was a little bit different. Kickstarter is just this fascinating new thing. Everybody has been talking about it. We've been seeing a lot of success with Kickstarter as far as, um, and I think the thing that really pushed over the edge for us was being able to do something absolutely the way we want to do it. So uh, freedom is what initially drew you in. Like it, it's your baby. Well, I mean, like, you know, and, and, and saying that image doesn't rule things with iron fist. Oni doesn't, you know, it, there is a lot of freedom at image and Oni. I think the biggest difference was we wanted to create a niche market item. Okay. We want, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a 200, 200 page original graphic novel hardcover uh it's slightly oversized it's like the is it the omnibus size is that what they call those it's this you know the slightly larger it's like yeah i think that's right you know it's it's a slightly larger size than regular comic books not too much though you know we wanted to have this really nice you know we got uh, we wanted to be able to do a slipcase edition very you know very easily but then we got into the idea of all of the other stuff you know promotional items things that that are just fun that like you don't really get to see that often in comics. I, I, I love Image and Oni, but there's not really a way for Image and Oni to be like, yeah, and, and we'll facilitate your t-shirts, and we'll facilitate your hand-pulled prints that you write. Right, right. It's so much harder. Uh, congratulations uh, on hitting your goal, by the way. It looks like you guys smashed through your goal of 18500 You're currently at almost $30,000, which is very cool. Not to yeah. mention, I really like the way you're doing the stretch goals. Where you started updating and saying, you know, as of this date, if we hit twenty five thousand, for example, is the first one, we you're going to do let's see, a stretch goal. We've added two prose stories with illustrations to the book that will ship every copy, you know, with every copy of Bad Karma Volume One. It's a really cool idea that the people that are donating the money that want to see this done are actually sort of building the book as it goes, too. For for us, that was one of the really fascinating things from day one about Kickstarter. We're so close to kind of the end now that we're like, okay, I guess we need to just lay it all out there. We've got one more t-shirt that we're, that we're going to uh, be adding on, I think actually next. And I, I, we're down to, there's two designs that we're kind of interested in. Cause you can see on the coasters um, in the coaster set, there's, there are nine different Kraken logos, right? And um, it, there's there's a there's a definite time travel element to to the main story, the Ninth Life of Solomon Gun. Those Kraken logos. What you're seeing is, uh, in fact, I think I should talk a little bit more about it. But the Kraken Corporation exists throughout time, so you're seeing on those logos there is a runic. Kraken. Oh, Sim- sure. So for each different like time that the Kraken Corporation is around, they have a slightly different logo based on whenever mm-hmm. it is. Yes. Yeah. And and so uh, we we really have been like, oh, we kind of. I wish we could do them all as T-shirts, but that's just not very. That's oh, not. That would be right. very cool. <laughs> now let me ask you: You're working with Alex Grecian and Phil Hester are doing a story called Middleton. You've got you and let me try and say his name, Mike Tisserand. Yes. On Chaos Agent. And then B. Claymore and Christopher Mitten on Old Dog. Yep. And then Seth Peck and Ty Walker working on Hellbent, which looks really cool. I love that art. 
The Ninth Life of Solomon Gunn, which is sort of a time travel, and that's you and Alex again with B. Claymore and Seth Peck. This one's illustrated by you. Yeah, that's, that's the group project, yeah. Okay, that's the big group project there. And all the stories sort of work together. They, they're loosely tied in, is that correct? The idea was we want to be able to work together on this main thing, but then tie it in with other stuff that we were wanting to produce, but it all had to kind of fit in. And, sure. and one of the things that we ran into as we did this was, we're like, well, with Solomon Gunn, everything kind of fits in around it. You can, you can very easily um, have something you know from one of the stories kind of bleed into the next, and, and everything then is kind of connected by, by the Creighton Corporation. But the nice thing about it is you can take as little or as much of this as you want. You can really immerse yourself into the entire volume and, and have this really kind of cool immersive experience. Or you can just be like, you know, I only really care about, you know, the Alex Grecian and Phil Hester story. And, and you can read that and you can be perfectly satisfied. So they, just- they stand alone as well is what you're saying. They they stand alone, but then but then they they tie together and and you know it, it becomes a more interesting. We're even doing short stories that where like it, it almost gets complex. But uh, we're doing the main story together that we wrote together, and I'm drawing. Then we're each individually writing a story with another artist. Okay. So, but then we're taking and we're doing short stories. We are playing in the other guys stories so like um i'm writing a hellbent story i'm writing a ninth life story um and i'm writing a middleton short so so these are like you know four to six to eight page short stories and they exist in the other creators sort of section of the book exactly that's very cool let me ask you since this has been such a success you've smashed through your goal like i said is there going to be more bad karma we we've talked already about plans for the second one and and you know doing one of these a year would be a lot of fun uh we've learned a lot about you know the do's and don'ts and a lot lot of the timing and logistics and stuff like that involved right but but yeah i I think that unless you know we just end up strangling each other to death by the end of this i think it's (laughs) a possibility that no, you know what? Yeah, there's going to be another one. Is there anything else that you want to tell us about Bad Karma before we go? Well, I mean, the biggest thing is I just want to thank everyone. You know, uh, I, I know I know Legends, uh, the shop in town, supported it. You know, and, and there's been so much support from fans everywhere, and that's you know, this is what's happening. It's because of the support of people, and we appreciate the hell out of it. Excellent. Thanks again for your time, Jeremy. Uh, look forward to the book coming out. Look forward to seeing you again soon. Yes, definitely, man. Excellent. And if, yeah, whenever you're in town, let us know and you're welcome to come hang out at the shop and push whatever you need to. I appreciate it, man. All right, man. I'll let you get back to your day. And uh, like I said, real good to talk to you, buddy. If you'd like to donate to the Bad Karma Kickstarter, just go to kickstarter.com and search Bad Karma, or you can click the link in this week's show notes As of the time we post this episode, they will still have about two or three days to go. There's still time to donate. And if you'd like to hear the full interview, you'll find it at TwoHeadedNerd.com under Matt's small man, big mouth blog. It's about damn time I added some of that stupid Jeez. (laughs) And that is it for the New Year's resolution episode of THN. If two nerds promising that this year they plan to read more webcomics and 
try more recreational drugs, Hold you on. can subscribe to this show what? on iTunes. It's already out there, buddy. Where, if you want to prove our THN love, you can leave us a star rating and written review to help us get in the iTunes top ten. I'd just like to say there are several brand new written reviews up there. I Thank they you. They were fantastic. And, yeah, thanks to everyone that continues to contribute to our iTunes rating. And huge thanks to all of our donors for the last couple weeks, Jamie, Patricia, and Sam, who after a brief stay in the Vibranium Club, has already been elevated to the Adamantium Club. Way to go, Sammy. And if you'd like to help keep us in cheap champagne and comically oversized 2013 sunglasses, you can make your donation in any amount at the new and improved to it at nerd.com, where you can also contact us if you're interested in sponsoring the show. While you're there, you can find our links to our Twitter feed and our email, twoheadednerd at gmail.com, where you can send us your love slash hate mail or the comic you'd like us to review or ask for comic reading suggestions from the comic pushers. And don't forget to check out all the new content from the THN Love Slaves over at twoheadednerd.com, including the 2013 return of Girl Meets Nerd. She took a couple weeks off because apparently it's too stressful to get done during her Christmas vacation. We recorded an episode and while you were on vacation. I, tell me about it. From the road. <laughs> also check out our buddy Matt Lockwood from the Movie Ha Podcast's official THN movie review space, Musings from the Gods, where he'll be reviewing John Dies at the End. Sounds important. I know, right? Certainly not a <laughs> blog. It's a column, folks. <laughs> And remember to follow us on Twitter and like our Facebook page if you want to get in on the Question of the Week discussion. And if you want to hear our answers, be sure to check out the 2 web-exclusive, not-safe-for-work audio blog, The Answer of the Week. Next week, send us your questions, because it's time again to ask a nerd. And don't forget to put ask a nerd in the subject line. That's very important. Before we go... Our weekly shout-out goes to Peter David, who had a stroke this week. It's a brutal bummer, because Mr. David has written some of our favorite X-Factor, Hulk, Spidey, and Supergirl comics. Word to you, Peter David, and we're wishing you a very speedy recovery. Please get well soon. Until next time, True Believers, this is the Two-Headed Nerd, signing off. The Two-Headed Nerd Comic Cast was brought to you by Ape Entertainment. Since 2003, Ape has been bringing readers original and licensed comics and graphic novels like Pocket Gods, Strawberry Shortcake, and the upcoming return of Drew Hayes' Poison Elves, which continues the saga where it abruptly ended back in 2007. Look for Poison Elves in this month's previews catalog on page 244, and pre-order your copy today. Check out ape-entertainment.com for more.